0: You're listening to Drama's Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Boroma,
1: and this is the year-end yak for 2021. Hi, this is Saya, and this is Anissa, and this is Boroma.
2: So, how is 2021 in Drama Land? we finished it busy
1: so busy <laughs> so many dramas this year guys this has to be the year that i've watched the most number of dramas i i don't remember being so involved in drama land in the last decade i mean i feel like <laughs> this is also the year
2: that the most dramas came out to be fair like mm-hmm. more people are making dramas on more different kinds of platforms than like it feels like ever before yeah so there's a lot to watch. I f- I felt constantly like behind even more than I do usually <laughs> like all year. Yeah, it's funny that it's the most for Burma because it's probably the least for me. Yeah, I also didn't Just watch very many by dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and life a lot of life stuff was happening too, right? So yeah.
0: <laughs> also, I wanted to add that I, like the last we've pushed this recording off from the beginning of December to the end, which I took as an opportunity to cram like an exam. <laughs> so I've crammed a bunch of dramas in the last three or four weeks. Same. That have sort of bulked out my list. And they were all short dramas. Thank you, 2021, for short dramas. Because I've taken my count up from a single digits into d- double digits because of like six and 10 episodes. Well Good job. But they were shows I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch them. And I actually like my favorite drama of the year, which was already like I decided it from the start. I needed the time so that I could actually finish it. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, I had a bunch that I was like kind of either halfway through or had a few episodes left and I was just like, not motivated to finish them. And then when we, Barama was like, let's, you know, push it a little bit so we can finish more shows. So I also took that opportunity to finish more shows because I also had a pretty dismal number (laughs) at the beginning of December. I also
0: discovered that there were some that I just was not going to finish and perhaps I didn't want to. So here we are. Here we
1: are. Yeah. And you guys have successfully made me feel as if I've done nothing but watch dramas and like wasted my time. I I would love to live that life. Why is that bad? It's bad because like I have honestly this year I have prioritized watching dramas like almost consciously sometimes you have to (laughs) look 2021 was a year okay like we thought 2020
2: was rough and it was rough but like we're still in a pandemic it's been two years like no judgment you know like we got to do what we got to do to
0: survive Also, my single digit numbers were down to like 2021 dramas. I actually watched quite a lot of dramas, but they were old dramas or they were rewatched. Yeah,
1: I I rewatched quite Mm. a few too. (laughs) That would have really bloated my list.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This episode is also brought to you by Kensington's newest title, The Spanish Daughter by Lorena Hughes. In 1920s Ecuador, a young chocolatier from Spain must impersonate a man to claim her birthright after her father's death leaves his cacao estate in the hands of her half-siblings. Captivatingly lush and threaded with suspense, the Spanish daughter draws from the real-life history of its setting, a cacao farm near Vinches in Ecuador's coastal region. Known as the birthplace of cacao, this small town became the epicenter of the 19th and early 20th century cacao boom. Lorena Hughes drew additional inspiration for the Spanish daughter from the shamefully forgotten life of a Spanish woman named Maria Purificacion Garcia. Though she was responsible for developing the cacao bean roaster in 1847, a revolutionary invention that ultimately introduced chocolate to the world, little is known about this innovative woman. Hughes resurrects her in the Spanish daughter as the grandmother of her protagonist, Purí. Weaving a thread of suspense with the history of her native country and inspiration sparked by a remarkable woman who was written out of history, Lorena Hughes tells a story as necessary as it is captivating. About identity, family secrets, heritage, resilience, and of course, the irresistible allure of chocolate. You can find The Spanish Daughter by Lorena Hughes wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com
1: and so for our part one what we want to do is bring to you the trends of 2021 our thoughts on those trends so let's start part one guys
2: yes so i mean we mentioned this already but more people are making k dramas than ever before even apple plus disney plus has gotten into the game netflix is like glo- become a global juggernaut it's funny because I remember when Netflix start, first started bringing K dramas on, and it was like these really weird, bad shows that nobody else <laughs> wanted to license. <laughs> and there were, and like there was so at least for U.S. Netflix, like there was nothing on Netflix that I actually wanted to watch. But I had Netflix, so I would kind of keep an eye on what they were bringing K drama wise. And like over the years, now you know, Squid Game. Yeah. So that was a thing that happened. <laughs> And it's not
0: just the sort of global streamers. There are also some Asia-specific um, streamers that have been producing original dramas that have been doing really well. Like you had, there's been quite a few IT mm, originals. Yeah, there have. There are TVing originals. So, like, K-dramas have definitely shifted a large base away from network TV mm-hmm. uh, and even away from cable TV.
2: True. So that's been interesting to watch. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I think we've even talked about this before. If like 2012 was kind of the beginning of the cable revolution, now we're kind of at the height of the streaming revolution. And that's changed Mm -hmm. K-dramas in another new, different way, which, like you mentioned this already, Saya, we had a lot of shorter dramas, which is definitely a streaming thing. A lot of the shows had like multiple lengths. And TVN used to do this, so it's not like it's an exclusively streaming thing. Like, I remember, like, Reply 1997, (laughs) the drama (laughs) episode lengths were, like, wildly different. You know, like, some of them were, like, over an hour long. Some of them were 40 minutes. I was just like, what is happening? But TVN was just like, this is what we're doing. But I think in general, like, stuff that airs on television does tend to have consistent lengths. But with Mm -hmm. a lot of the Netflix shows I noticed this year, they were just... As long as the director wanted to make them for that episode, like (laughs) I think Squid Game had one episode that was only thirty minutes long, even though most of the other ones were an hour. It was like the finale was longer,
0: and the episode before that was the short one, right? Or and then like clearly they were yeah pushing it. Or like
2: Idol, the coup started out with hour and twenty minute episodes, and then closer to the end they were about an hour. So like it's interesting to see how like. There are things where people are like, well, we just don't need that extra 15 minutes and we're not going to like stretch this episode out if we don't need to, which is, I think, a good thing.
0: Although there's a part of me that kind of wants the consistency of a single episode
2: length. I, yeah, I mean, I I do like that evenness and consistency, you know, that's like my middle name. But at the same time, like if that is going to end up making the episode feel like slow and draggy, Mm. then I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Agree. Yeah, I haven't
0: decided how I feel about that.
1: <laughs> so we have like kind of uh, shorter episodes with uh, web dramas. We Can we even call these web dramas? Like what do you call these at this point? The thing is they're not web dramas because they're
0: basically they're prestige shows that are just running the sort of the episode length of a web drama. As in, we have to distinguish that they are two different right, things. Right, so streaming like the short-
1: dramas, like we can't call them all Netflix. They're kind dramas. of like <laughs> film ones, aren't they? Then there's
0: something between a film and a drama, whereas the web dramas are like something between a YouTube video and a drama. Well, no,
2: like doesn't isn't the web drama category also about length
0: though? I don't know, do we even have a standard definition of it? I thought it was also down to sort of
1: production values and... Web dramas tend to be shorter. They tend to be like 10 to 15 minutes per episode, but not all web dramas. So yeah. it's like, we don't know, like, does the exception, you know, rule the... Mm. <laughs> I it's... I mean, I feel like kind <laughs> of the way... I feel like kind of the way that the the distinction between movies and
2: TV has kind of collapsed because of streaming. Maybe the distinction mm. between web dramas and like... What we call like TV dramas is kind of also
1: kind of collapsing.
0: collapsing a bit. Yeah, mm. agreed. I mean, web dramas are still very. There are still very web drama web dramas. No, yeah, absolutely. We're just not that's watching the,
1: them. The indie uh, produced dramas with like small budgets and and weird concepts. Yeah. that's and still weird there. Yeah, yeah, and weird stories. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And rookie costs. But when you have like Apple and uh, Netflix producing dramas, they are taking on high concept ideas and really putting in money behind them. So they absolutely do not qualify as the traditional web drama. So at this point, I don't think that you can put those kind of streaming dramas
2: and web dramas in the same category, though. Like, I don't think people talk about them. That's
1: exactly what I'm saying. What do we call them now? Because they are not cable dramas. They're not really broadcast dramas anymore a lot of them don't even air outside these streaming platforms like Dr. Brain for instance so like at this point what do we call these streaming dramas like there has to be like a category name I mean yeah streaming
2: dramas that works that works for me yeah streaming is basically the new cable anyway (laughs) you're Mm -hmm. paying like a hundred dollars a month for all the different streaming
0: services (laughs) it's basically a cable bill I'm curious. Actually, that's been an interesting conversation that's been happening in Korea about who should pay the
1: oh, for the internet about usage. Netflix
0: paying. Yeah, exactly. Because if people are using their internet to watch Netflix, then Netflix sh- should be footing a part of that bill. There was that lawsuit. There right? is one. Yeah. Um, because the other streamers do. And what happened? I actually didn't follow up. What happened with
1: that lawsuit? Like, where is it going? I don't know, actually. Like, I haven't heard any more Mm. updates about it. Honestly, because this is not the kind of law that applies in my country or even in the U.S., I think, or U.K., um, I I don't think of it as a very fair thing to ask a company to do uh, to foot the cable bills or part of the cable bills of their user base. But on the other hand, I understand, the like, I'm starting to understand where the Korean government is coming from. So yeah, it'll be interesting to find out if anything has changed on that, like where the lawsuit has gone and how it's developing. I find that really interesting because
0: I think it makes sense to ask the big company to shoulder that charge more than the end user. Because as you say, we're paying so many bills already. And if you add up all of the different streaming subscriptions, that's not a small amount.
2: The Canada solution and some of the places, you know, where I've lived has been to just limit I mean, it's on the consumer, but it's like you're limiting how much people can actually stream. So you're putting a cap on people's. And and if you want to go beyond that cap, and it's because of streaming video, if you want to go beyond that cap, you have to pay quite a lot more. But like the regular package has now been capped to a certain amount of gigabytes, which is, I guess, one way to handle the extra burden.
1: So Internet is relatively cheap in my country which is definitely something the government has had a hand in to make sure that it stays cheap and accessible across which is Great. social strata. yeah. And mm. right now, video streaming is like the biggest uh, source of consumption in, in terms of like everybody has a, a, at least a small mobile phone and they're streaming videos. Netflix is still a very uh, upper economic class consumption, so I wouldn't say it has taken over the video. It's usually YouTube that gets consumed the most. Uh, used to mm. be tiktok now it's there's like that's banned here so there's also <laughs> instagram reels but video consumption hasn't become such a massive drain that they are going to start like putting on a premium on the consumption but i can kind of see it headed there because our telecom companies are actually uh, really overburdened right now because of various things that i won't go into uh they need to charge per user more so It's a a weird situation where the telecom company definitely needs more, you know, revenue per user, but charging the users more is not a very good idea in our kind of country because most users can't afford uh, to pay more than a certain amount. So in that particular scenario, if you charge big companies like YouTube, like Netflix, who are, you know, providing the videos that are being consumed, uh, at least a certain part of that, you know, expenditure... It, it starts to make mm-hmm. a bit of sense. But again, I, I think of like the burden, like once a policy is created where you shift this kind of a burden onto the companies, the companies will inevitably push that charge onto the consumers. So it's like a of circle. Course, and yeah. yeah, so that, that's where my doubt lies. Anyway, we will find out what happened to that court case. And if there is any update, we will link to it below. I guess the other big story...
2: From the first half of the year was we had a lot of bullying scandals in the entertainment industry. You know, we had a we had a really great interview with Dr. Rao Balseji. If you want to go back and listen to that, that episode was a really interesting discussion about bullying in Korea and sort of why it was blowing up now at this moment.
1: The, the interesting thing that I um, noticed, see, that was the first half of the year. I would say this thing happened around March and April. And then Mm. it kind of like a lot of these cases came out, like a lot of people were speaking up and quite a few people, quite a few celebrities kind of like backed out of like the media glare, going off to the army and stuff. Mm. But what's interesting is that I wouldn't say it's died down, but it's created a kind of like an anti-cancel culture conversation in the latter half of the year. But a lot of people are like, are you going too far with the canceling? And again, I think that's also a relevant question to ask, like what happened with Kim Sono? We also had like, a, a, we, we spoke about it somewhat in the last Up in Ramaland. Um, is, is interesting because on the one hand, you have um, a massive wave of uh, immediate reaction from the public when something comes up. And which directly affects sponsorship, roles, all of that stuff. Like, you have been judged in the public court of opinion. And then when the story changes, the public opinion changes as well. And your fortunes may just reverse overnight. It's a very weird, like, twilight zone situation, with these kind of conversations, which I think we also covered in the original episode with uh, Professor mm. Sina Basaji.
0: And that reminds me also of, I guess, the the follow-on scandals after the bullying ones, the the, bit, the stories that dominated after mm. that were sort of the culture war
2: ones, you know, like Joseph and Exorcist oh, being yeah. cancelled. Shin Heson. Yeah, Mr. Queen. That's right. Yeah. So I don't know if you've been following what's happening with Snowdrop, but like basically a lot of, what people were complaining about in the initial synopsis, which JTBC said is fake, and you know we had, somebody made that up, and that's Didn't not. They, and rewrite the um, whole drama? they said they were going to, but uh, but apparently this new version just has some like cosmetic changes, and people are still mm-hmm. having the same problems with it. I haven't personally started watching the show. I haven't either. But so basically, like Jung Hae character, who you know in the synopsis we read that he was like a foreign exchange student from Germany. Yeah. But that's just a cover because apparently he's like and I, I don't want to like miss say this, but like there's some connection with like North Korean spies and people who are very upset because at the time of the pro-democracy movement, a lot of pro-democracy activists were falsely accused of being North Korean spies and mm-hmm. locked up and tortured and killed. And so there being actual North Korean spies in this legitimizes. This, you know, extremely false and evil practice um, in a way that's like really making like some of the survivors and family members of people who were political prisoners uh, and who, were, who went through so much. Okay. And they're like, how can you do this? This is so upsetting. Wait, meanwhile, JTBC is saying, no, 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 like, but they're not actually like pro-democracy activists. So it's OK. We're not saying North Korean spies are pro-democracy activists because these people aren't pro-democracy activists, but you're literally setting it in 1987. Like, how stupid do you think mm-hmm. people are? So the production company is saying, like, just wait. You know, we you know, we're going to do it in a way that you're going to like. But people are really upset. And and there's like a petition to cancel the show with a bunch of signatures. Yeah. Wasn't that the original critique, though? It was, and I thought that they had well, rewritten it after right. that. So they claimed to have rewritten it, and that original. But it doesn't leak, sound like the it's at all. was fake right Which is what people are angry about.
1: No, I think uh, in the original trailer weird. he was supposed to be um, uh, an agent of the government, which was like, and and he was he going wasn't to be an NIS to. agent. He was an
2: undercover North Korean
0: agent, but right? there is
2: still an NIS agent here as well. And people are also saying that the NIS agent is being portrayed way too... Sympathetically? Um, sympathetically, yeah. Okay.
1: Um, in situations with these, often if from the creator's point of view, they're probably thinking that I'm going to do a full arc, and by the end of the drama, you'll be satisfied. But when people have gone through a lot of historical trauma, yeah, maybe, like, it. don't do that, because if your first half is portraying someone, they really... It, it just, if it hits them badly... It, it, you can't ask people to just wait to you know, I, I don't know yeah, it's- and it's one thing, you know, like dramas are a lot like
2: books. and so there is a lot of nuance that's packed into like you know fifteen like sixteen episodes. um and it gives you the ability to like go on that journey. But the difference is like when you publish a book, the whole book is out there, and people can judge the mm-hmm. entire book on its merits. But like if you only have two episodes to go on, you don't know where the drama is going. Sometimes you end up making assumptions about it. And I'm not saying that this is going to be a good show. I'm just saying like that's kind of one of the challenges of the genre that like people who make it need to keep in
1: mind. Agreed. Especially when you have uh, a story that is clearly um, something that is going to create conflict in the hearts of your viewers. If you're like re-triggering people's trauma, that's not a good enough, like
2: making art isn't a good enough reason to like make people relive really horrible things that they've been through with their own family and in their own lives. Like, I just don't, I just don't think that's...
1: I, I kind of disagree in that, like, not in that they should be re-traumatized. I, I, all I mean is that I think people should be allowed to create whatever they want to create, but they should be ready for the public to come at you and be like, we don't accept it. In which case, your drama's going to flop, even though mm. it was good work. I think there's a danger,
0: particularly with an event like this, that there's a danger of rewriting history like to replace a true account of things with a falsified one that is dangerous so in that sense
1: it's come it's really complicated I think yeah. I think we can go more into that once we have like actually watched the drama but like since we haven't we I guess ha- we don't have <laughs> much material to go I knew I shouldn't have talked about this
2: <laughs> yeah so we wanted to talk about like some general trends within drama land like in the stories themselves So the thing that stuck out to me the most this year was that we had a lot of really good workplace dramas and not like in the sort of traditional, um, you know, everybody's like it's an ensemble cast. They all work at the same bank or like government office and they have like, you know, ensemble cast type hijinks and, you know, fun stuff happening. But like the workplace is not really a significant part of the story. You never see them working. You never like they don't really talk about work. Um, I think Search W.W. was an exception to this. That was Mm -hmm. a really smart, good drama about work. But in general, like, this year, I saw a lot of really amazing portrayals of work. So, like, Run On, there was a lot in there about, you know, what it meant to do the kind of work that these people were doing, and, like, all of them, all four of the main characters. Um, And they talked about money, and they talked about you know, what it is to have to be like a freelancer or to be working in an organization, like mm-hmm. really interesting stuff. Then we had like imitation, which was basically about like, the workers seizing the means of production. I mean, it was pretty revolutionary. Like, it was a cute, fluffy idol drama from one side with a cute romance. And on the other sa- side, I was like, wait, whoa, 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 what is happening? Like, this is like about labor movements. I mean, it's not that subversive. It's but still the ideas were there. And I really and it really tackled a lot of interesting things about the industry without like pulling its punches while still being like cute mm. and fluffy entertaining drama to watch idol very smart about work very oh, smart so about smart. the industry so good Such i mean a just clever drama I, yeah i can't go on too much because we don't have you know we don't want to like go on forever but yeah. like for those for me those were really stand out in that sense agreed any others that y'all want to add I was about to say that
1: they kind of went more Missing. And of course, Idol was by the writer of Missing. Yes, Yes, Yes. absolutely. And I will just add a couple more. DP, for instance, I mean, talk about workplace. (laughs) (laughs) Exposé. It was an exceptional look into military life that we hadn't had before, at least not in a drama. And totally agree. Also, like, from the fluffier side, uh, probably she would never know because they did deal with, like, seniority and, like, um, kind of, like, it, it was pretty much based in Office. The romance was the different characters coming together and working together. So, yeah, I, I would I would count that in as well. Jiri-san. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, like, if that drama had stuck to
0: just being about mountain ranges, it would have been so good. Mm. Like, the best part of jiri was Mountain Rangers: Slice of Life. Absolutely.
1: So, so good. Oh, 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 oh. Also, Hospital Playlist. How did we forget? Part two. Oh, yes. Of oh, course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> hospital Playlist. Uh, yeah. So basically, lots of workplace dramas really giving us a proper look into, you know, their workplaces. <laughs> you were
0: saying it. The thing that I found really s- striking trend in the dramas that I watched this year was the sort of vigilante justice bent to everything. Mm. Like, Ex uh well, it's not extramarital, extrajudicial.
1: <laughs> uh, that's a whole other topic.
0: That- <laughs> that's a whole other
1: category. There was <laughs> there was kind of a trend there too. Yeah, we just didn't
2: watch any of
0: those. I didn't shows. think any of us
4: so
2: watch so them. We don't really have a link to we don't yeah. really we can't really talk, speak on those, but
0: <laughs> there was just so such nuanced treatment of revenge themes of why of when the law falls short in serving justice and what would sort of drive people to seek justice outside of the law mm-hmm. and it felt very timely because of everything that's happening in the world and i also feel like it was more needed like emotionally we needed those dramas a lot more and i needed them that's probably why i watched so many. Mm. And so you had in that, like, you know, Taxi Driver was probably the most 100% pure vigilante action drama. Yeah. You also had Vincenzo, which was, what was it if not, about sort of the ultimate vigilante story. My Name, Devil Judge, Uncanny Counter. And all of them were about people who did try to pursue... Justice through the normal. Justice through the yeah. law. Yeah. And then, but they'd been failed. They'd been failed by the law. I mean, not Vincenzo. Vincenzo didn't seek justice mean, through the law. I mean, kind of. Point. Vincenzo didn't. <laughs> but just, but
2: um, Lady Vincenzo, what was her name? <laughs> oh, I think it was. No,
1: yeah. I, I always just think of her as Donya. But yeah, it was Chaiyan or something. something. Hong Chan's father was definitely the guy who was trying to seek justice through, you know, judicial means, and always trying to stick to mm-hmm. the straight and narrow. But then he had that point where he was like,
0: it, the, "The law cannot do it. We need someone to do this." Yeah, exactly. So he he, doing he failed, the and
1: his his mission was he submits. yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: but you know <laughs> what's forward. interesting about, and I didn't watch all of these dramas. um I think you watched more of them than I did, Saya. But like, and I think even you, Parma. But like. One of the things that I did notice this year is that in the past um a lot of these you know sort of revenge or vigilante type dramas would like start out kind of ex doing the extrajudicial stuff but eventually the lesson of the drama was like no yeah. that's wrong let's come back to doing things through the law and at the yeah, end of like the it show, would then raise the law yeah, exactly at the end of the show the main protagonist who had been like on this like holy mission to get justice would eventually come around to the idea that okay but like the only true justice is through the law. No. And I did not mm-hmm. see that. In this years dramas that I watched with this with these kind of themes, uh. there was a very clear understanding that the law is not mm. on your side. It's on the side of the yeah. rich and the powerful and the well connected. Mm-hmm. And if you really want real justice, you're going to have to do it in a way where you're going to be unnoticed by the law but outside the law. Um yeah. and that was a very different conclusion. It wasn't one yeah, where like you the also... cops come in at the last minute and everybody goes to jail who, you know, was bad and that's it. And the and the good guys get, you know, released or whatever. That's mm-hmm. not what yeah. happened.
0: And because you're used to the drama and you sort of expect a drama to end with that message because, you know, dramas have or at least media tends to have a certain kind of messaging which isn't going to be encouraging it generally upholds the status quo right yeah with all of these dramas i more or less would ex- i would have expected them to come to that point of like no you know we're going to finish by doing it through the law but then they didn't. And I was like, oh, I like this. Yeah. I like that they were, it's like, it's quite bold. But then maybe it's also kind of, again, it reflects the zeitgeist. It, it reflects yeah. the what we're watching in the world right now. It's
2: an indication of where we are, I think, just as much as like the fact that Squid Game was so internationally popular
1: yes. also reflects how people are feeling right now and what they're going through. I mean, the trust in uh, government and them taking care of everything is a bit low at this point.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, we've all been watching our governments fail yeah. in
5: mm-hmm. the most
0: vile ways for the last few years. Yeah. And more. I mean, not just the last few years, but it's come to a kind of horrifying head in the last few years. Agreed.
1: Agreed. And to turn this into a chirpier podcast... <laughs> Our next trend is of idol dramas. And guys, we have to uh, put a caveat here. Yes, there have been dramas with musicians in them. There have been dramas with aspiring bands, like, for instance, Shutterflower Boy Band. And Entertainer, which was trash. But we haven't had a drama that's focused on the life of an idol, probably since You're Beautiful. At least I haven't seen any. Yes, there have been web dramas. I know there have been. But we're talking about proper broadcast-level dramas, and there just haven't been any. And this Mm. year, we had Imitation. We had Idol The Coop, which, by the way, again, guys, go watch that. And the currently airing Let Me Be Your Night, which we're not including in our overall drama list, but it has released in 2021. All of these really focus on idol life, some more realistically and empathetically than others. But our point is that it, it just suddenly became the year of a lot of different producers deciding, hey, let's talk about the inner life of idol boy bands and girl bands.
0: Yeah, I haven't got around to any of them yet, but I am looking forward to Imitation and
1: Idol. I mm-hmm. highly, both highly recommend both amazing. of them. Yeah, me too you would enjoy both.
2: And then the last sort of major trend we want to talk about is we've had a lot of big budget, successful, high quality Webtoon adaptations this year. Uh-huh. It's not like those are new, but the ones that came out this year were really well done they were, you know, sort of prestige in a way that a lot of times webtoon adaptations haven't always been in the past and they were there were a lot of really good ones. So some of the ones that we've listed are True Beauty, Navalera, The Uncanny Counter, Nevertheless, Our Beloved Summer, Yumi Cells. I'm sure there are more that I'm not.
0: Dr. Brain. Dr. Dr. Brain. Dr. Brain was a webtoon. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that was Apple's um, Apple Plus TV or whatever it's... What is it Apple called? TV Apple TV Plus TV? <laughs> Apple TV. There's a plus somewhere. There's yes. a TV somewhere. Apple TV Plus's first original K-drama is Dr. Yes. Brain. Yeah. And that's based on a webtoon.
1: And it's been um, amazing in, in terms of the production quality of these dramas. They are all gorgeously shot. Dr. Brain is through the roof. It is just... Even wow. Squid
2: Game, yeah. this has a very, like, Webtoon-esque aesthetic, and the inspiration of that is from, like, mangas that the director mm, used to read, so I yeah. feel like that also kind of has that comics connection, and, like, the aesthetic is mm-hmm. so, yeah, it, like, looks like pages out of an illustrated
1: absolutely. Book, so... And it, it's mm-hmm. more than just the look, it's like the storylines. The storylines are definitely what appeals to webtoon readers so much. Like stories that you generally don't get in drama land. These were not stories that are like full of, I mean, they are not necessarily, aside from maybe True Beauty, the rest of them are not quite drama land staples. And that really shows like you have Navillera. You have, I mean, you have nevertheless, Yumi cells, the, these are not stories that you've seen in Dramaland before. So if we, if, if having more webtoon adaptations means having more of, you know, these kind of diverse stories coming on our screens, I am just really thrilled about it.
0: Yeah, because they're often shorter as well, they're easier to get through.
1: They are often 12 to 14 episodes. Uh, Uncanny Counter, nevertheless, were both, I think, 12. I think uh, Nevertheless might actually have been 10 episodes. Either way, it's way less than our 16 episode dramas. Um, Yumi I Sells think Uncanny was, Counter was 16, though.
0: That was a TV drama. So the non TV dramas tend to come out a little less.
1: Yumi Cells was 14. Exactly. Yumi Cells was 14. Um, Navillera was also a shorter one, right? 12. 12 right. Yeah, that was 12. And Dr. Brain
0: was six. That was, you know, I finished that in two days. So I guess that wraps
1: up our our discussion on the trends of 2021 drama land. But you have yet to hear what our listeners had to say about their drama watching experience of 2021. So without further ado, let's hear your thoughts on the last year of K-dramas.
6: Happy New Year, dramas over flowers. Thank you for your podcast. As a listener, I appreciate that you take the time to share your insights and discussions of so many aspects of all the dramas. As a viewer of English language television, I've been watching K-dramas for a few years now, and tropes and conventions that used to take me by surprise now seem pretty normal. But there are a couple of trends that seemed new to me this year. First, as a big fan of Broadway musicals, the storytelling device that I loved most this year was in the Hospital Playlist series. It is, of course, the inclusion of the song by the band near the end of each episode. At their best, the songs enhanced the story, developed character, showcased some great and brilliantly not-so-great singing, and brought me joy each week. Another trend I noticed this year, the leading actors and actresses of Dramaland seem to be able to communicate without speech. One character thinks a line aloud, and the other character thought responds to it as though they heard it. I first noticed this in Encounter a few years ago. I believe we had more of this type of communication this year in Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha, Lovers of the Red Sky, and now we are breaking up. I find this method of communication to be a bit insulting to the viewers and to the actors. The joy of so many K-dramas lies in the rich subtext that fills the silences. The longing looks of our prince and court maid in the red cuff sleeve the treacherous but silent calculations of the characters in Squid Game and all the character interactions in Run On. Really, most K-dramas don't need to spoon-feed us the characters' thoughts because the actors are so talented and communicate the emotion of the material through their performances, not through voiceover telepathy. So, in 2022, here's to more songs and less mind melding. May more of our dramas take place on the screen, and hopefully the events of real life will settle down a bit.
4: Hi, this is Anja. Um, if I think about the theme for Drama Land 2021, I think my own personal theme is that this was the year where maybe driven by things happening in the real world, I just lost interest in dramas about rich people fighting rich people. And no matter how wonderful the house is or how fabulous the wardrobe. I just got bored with those poor hard done by rich people competing with other rich people. But luckily, Dramaland gave me lots of fabulous dramas on the other side of the economic spectrum. Um, So for example, we had a woman who works in a supermarket who finally lands that big company job um, egged on by a younger version of herself. We have a guy who works as a part-time worker in a restaurant for whom the fact that he failed to achieve anything is so crushing to his self-esteem that he can't even get it up anymore. We've got two people temporarily out of work because of mental health issues who keep bumping into each other um, because they use the same psychiatrist. We've got a special forces officer who has to deal with people in her apartment block, just not sticking to lockdown rules because those rules are for other people and not for them. And we probably have my favorite of the year, a group of people desperately trying to hang on to their jobs through rows upon rows of redundancies in a company that uh, manufactures household appliances. And yes, I probably knew that this was the drama for me when a robo vacuum cleaner gets destroyed in the second episode, and a dishwasher gets set on fire.
7: Hi, I go by Frabby Crabsis, at least in online circles. And if I was to describe my year in dramas, I would describe it as underwhelming. <laughs> Firstly, because I watched a lot of things which I think other people really adored, but I didn't feel too strongly about, like law school or do your service or mad for each other. Um, and the things that I did love were ones that really arrested me at one point while they were airing. But that excitement eventually faded for one reason or another, like um, You're My Spring or The King's Affection, both shows of which I truly loved and truly consider favourites, but they just didn't set that example of pure excellence that I think we all strive for. Um, but despite that, I did have favourites from this year. I really adored Bracket Boys. I thought <laughs> I thought it was like a Shinmon or PD drama. That was better than the one he was actually producing i think the writer learned a lot from working with him for prison playbook and so she was just on form for this drama she had this perfect ensemble that she actually gave ample personality and time to and she got me to care about badminton and she just portrayed grief in a really beautiful way which i think was actually something that i took away from a lot of shows this year you know i love move to heaven And I love the way that that show dealt with grief. I think it's something I've been dealing with a lot myself in the last year and a half. And so I'm more drawn to it in dramas than I've ever been. And that show was just pitch perfect from start to finish. And I surprisingly really loved Hometown Chattercha. I think you find with a lot of romance K dramas these days, they don't feel confident to just be about romance. <laughs> you know, they always introduce an extra plot in the last four episodes because they just have no more ideas or time. So I really give my respect to Hometown Chattercha for literally just dedicating itself to romance. It was just a good time. And I did actually also love Vincenzo. I didn't expect to, must say. I wasn't going to watch it. But the Vincenzo kind of taught me why people love gratuitous violence so much. It was just gritty and satisfying and funny and dark. And yeah, I was just really into it. and Didn't expect to be, but was. So although I did have an underwhelming year, there were still standout favorites, which was really nice. And I'm not quite done with the year yet. I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch the shows, which everyone else said was amazing that I didn't quite have time for when they were airing. And maybe my look back on the year will be a bit more optimistic once I've done that. So thank you, dramas over flowers. I really enjoyed all the content you put out this year. I loved the Sisyphus recaps. I loved all of Parma's video essays. I loved the go podcast. Um, and I'm looking forward to another year. Enjoying all of your content.
2: Goodbye. Hi, my name is Jen and a Korean drama that holds a special place in my heart for 2021 has to be Vincenzo. I was actually able to convince my husband to watch this one with me and it was so good. It became our weekly date night as we enjoyed spicy ramen and drank a beer and laughed our way along with these memorable and quirky characters from a random strip mall in Korea. Because Vincenzo was so good, my husband is actually willing to give another K-drama a try, and we're currently finishing up The Veil.
8: Greetings, Parma, Saya, and Anissa, aka Dramas Over Flowers, aka K-drama queens. Say hello to my little friend. (laughs) Watching Do You Like Brahms inspired me to take up violin again. I used to play when I was back in high school. And now that I am much older than that, I decided to take it up again. It's really brought a lot of joy to my life. I've stopped and I've started and I'm at the very beginning levels. But it's really just fun to do. So that's something that Korean dramas have really added to my life. 2021 was also meaningful for me because it was the first time that I watched a weekend drama. I watched Revolutionary Sisters. And the thing that I really appreciated about the drama from the very beginning was that it did not pretend like the pandemic did not exist. One of the first scenes was about, you know, fighting over like face masks and trying to understand how to wear them and... Throughout the show, you saw people wearing face masks around their neck and like, putting putting them on on occasion, right? I mean, it doesn't make for good TV to wear one, but I really appreciated that it didn't pretend like we weren't all wearing face masks. I even thought about getting a mask clip for myself. I've been inspired, who knows? Recognizing the multiple ways that white supremacy plays out around the globe. I've studied you know race in Latin America for many years, as well as race in the United States, just the Western hemisphere in general. And thinking about how white supremacy plays out in Asia is just fascinating. Um, I think that Korean dramas have given me a a different lens to think about a subject that I study for a living, but using a different medium, like where I'm not just thinking about in terms of human interactions, but thinking about how people are watching television and learning about racial hierarchies in that way. Um, I know many of us were really excited about Ali in Squid Game. Like, yes, finally, we have like a South Asian character who actually has lines and we can identify with. Right. Or just seeing other I always root for whenever I see like black characters or any characters of color in these Korean dramas because they're so rare. And so I feel like this year with the penthouse scandal, among others, I just become really aware of how global anti-blackness is and how global white supremacy is and how it needs to be eradicated on all fronts, not just in the United States. This is Dr. Chi and I'm complete.
9: Hi and happy new year to the Dramas Over Flowers community. This is my first year actually of watching K-dramas. I know. And Dramas Over Flowers is the first podcast I've ever listened to. I know, I know. And also my favorite Um, So at this point, I don't have much to reflect on yet, but watching K-dramas has been my main way to virtually connect with friends and even with my dad and sister throughout this past year of the pandemic. Until 2021, I never used to rewatch anything, shows or movies, but this year, as soon as I finished a drama, I immediately rewatched it from start to finish and then found it hard to start a new one. I also would have expected myself to seek more dramas that would transport me to alternate worlds, but the dramas I've loved most have been about just being human in this world, like Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha and the delightful grandmas who remind me of my own, who I haven't seen in two years, Um, or like Yumi Cells or Nevertheless, which I know is a polarizing one and the protagonists just trying to understand their own complicated but rich emotions and desires. Dramas, and even this dramas over flowers community, have shown me how good it is to see AAPI stories on screen. And I know there's a ways to go in these stories in terms of celebrating the full spectrum of AAPI folks in the world. And they've also shown me how good it is to enjoy something even and especially in the middle of a lot of suffering and heaviness in the world. Wishing you all well, and thank you, Saya and Yusen Borama for sharing all your insight and humor in this space.
8: Hey, friends. So I guess uh, my take on this year is that uh, it's really hard to put into words this year's dramas. No drama was a clear winner for best because they all had their own flaws. But I guess a general word that could be used would be fun. To name a few, we had uh, Mr. Queen, and we had a fun thriller with a great ensemble cast, Vincenzo, and we finished strong with Yumi Cells. I also really enjoyed Drink Now and Work Later and Mad for Each Other, and while my, some, I might get some hate for it, I also really liked Squid Game. So I guess as long as you have a strong character with a great fun plot, you'd find me entertained. So that's what I have to say.
5: Hey, everyone. This is Kay Fangirl from the Fangirl Verdict. In terms of looking back over my drama year in 2021, I actually feel quite similar to how I felt at the end of 2020, that in a time of global uncertainty, dramas were always there for me. Like they provided a sense of consistency and steadiness in a time where so much in the world was inconsistent and unsteady. So really appreciate that. One of the things that I really love about dramas is how they help us understand ourselves better and help us to understand other people better. And I feel that no other drama did it better in 2021 than You, Me, Self. For so long, I always felt like I was the weird one for thinking a certain way or reacting a certain way or feeling a certain way. But Yumi cells illustrated to me and demonstrated to me in the most eye-opening way that I have never been alone. That we're just all weird like that. We're we're all just so human like that. And that was vindicating and liberating in the best way possible. It was such an eye-opener, and I honestly think that that was the biggest gift that Dramaland gave me in 2021. So thank you, Dramaland, for that. And uh, here's two more great dramas for all of us in 2022. Hello, wonderful
10: human beings. So I will not wax poetic about the firestorm that was 2020 part two slash the series reboot, no one asked for, also known as 2021. But what I will say is that I started Many a drama and finished so very few of them. Some I could not finish because it was painfully bad, (coughs) Vincenzo. And others because for whatever reason, I got to the end and mentally could not push forward on those last few precious episodes. So the very short list that I did manage to finish was Run On, At a Distance Spring is Green, Doom at Your Service, Hospital Playlist 2, and The Witch's Diner. And what's interesting about this completed list is that they really span across various genres. So we have a campus coming-of-age drama. We have a gods and humans twist on I love you so much. I'd burn the world down just to keep you warm. We have an aggressively slice-of-life drama about the bonds of decades-long friendships. We have a dark and ridiculously good, too short, witchy series. And then there's Run On. Sweet Jesus, Run On is actually a thing that existed, which I am forever grateful for. And when I think about it, I, I really can't pinpoint exactly what it was about these specific dramas that kept me going till the very last minute of the very last episode. But what I do know is that each one explored the bonds of connection in a way I found endlessly interesting. Some were crackier than others. Doom, I'm looking at you. Run On in particular explored these bonds in a multitude of ways that was refreshing. It was exciting. And it was, it's something that I would love to study when life decides to give me a breather. At a distance, Spring is Green approached these bonds by exploring the difficult, grueling process of going from broken to a little less broken. Honestly, just regardless of their approach, these are the dramas that kept me tethered when I felt unmoored. And so I'm giving them five stars, five stars all around.
11: First off, Happy New Year, everyone. I'm Tina, who you might remember from the episode where Anissa, Porama and I chat about web dramas. Now that in itself was an absolute highlight for me in an otherwise extremely uneventful 2021. It was a good year for K-dramas though. I managed to finish 11 of them, which is a personal best, and a couple of web dramas too. My completed dramas were mostly historical ones, um, and whilst this genre has always been my catnip, towards the end of the year I actually had three of them on the go, which is a bit excessive even for me. But I couldn't help it, they were all so beautiful and saaguk dramas have really outdone themselves in terms of production value and cinematography. Um, And I guess they also provided that extra layer of escapism we all needed too. This year's standout drama for me though was Yumi's Cells, which did such a great job at blending live action with animation. It could easily have backfired, but those cute little cells really stole the show, and it had just the right amount of fluff and angst, and I'm so excited that they have season two lined up already. At least we'll have that to look forward to in 2022, right? Finally, I want to thank our lovely hosts for yet another great year of K-drama commentary. It's been such a pleasure seeing the podcast grow from strength to strength, and I can't wait to see what this coming year has in store for them and for us as K-drama watchers. Wishing all of you listening a happy and healthy year ahead. Thank you everyone for
1: sending us these wonderful voice notes. You made this episode a hundred times more special. And with this, we end the first part of our three part year end yak. In the next episode, we'll be giving out the Goguma Awards, which are silly and earnest and given out with complete bias. You'll love them. <laughs>